Greetings! Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. Uh, you can find that by messaging both either Christopher Haberman, my brother, or me, Kirk Haberman. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey Chris, how are you? Doing well, Kirk. How about you? <laughs> how am I? I am, for the first time in two weeks, seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Things are looking up. I'm feeling better. Um, uh, there, there's a confluence of, of multiple tracks in my life that are ascendant, and so it, it all feels great. Um, I had surgery on August 11th, and um, and of course, kind of it was outpatient surgery, but surgery kind of knocks you down and knocks you low. Um, and then I had multiple complications to that. Both, um, first of all, I had a, a very severe reaction to the chloroprep, the alcohol prep, um, and I'm, I'm still kind of on a slow recovery from that. Um, and uh, part of the way they they um, they treated me was putting me on a prednisone, and one of the uh, side effects of prednisone it is it's immune system suppressant, and so as a result of suppressing my immune system, one of the incisions got infected, and I developed an abscess, and that was um, uh, scary and painful as there was a gigantic lump under painful lump under one incision and that's kind of where we were last thursday when you and i recorded we didn't actually that was even before that showed up um but i saw my surgeon and on you, monday you had, to wait, you had to wait all weekend i did i did i did and I, I some of you may be interested in the gory details but i'll spare that to your imaginations if you've ever seen or been around abscesses perhaps you'll kind of know with what deep satisfaction um there is when you finally get rid of it <laughs> um but i'm feeling better um Amoxicillin's a thing. Penicillin is a thing. It's really effective. And suddenly that pain is gone. The dermatitis is starting to go away. I'm able to sleep for the first time in 10 days. Um, also, uh, school's starting soon. Um, so I have the, uh, the, the, the anticipation of students on Monday. Um, I, I, it's, that, um, it's that mix of nerves and excitement like before before a baseball game or a basketball game where they're all mixed together and you can't tell what's the butterflies and what's the excitement and so you just want to get on the court and get it started um that's the way uh, the first day of school is for me and it particularly since we've been off since march 13th i just crave some normalcy seeing bright-eyed students eager to go um i'll be eager to go this is my calling this is what i've been trained to do in some ways I'm most at home when I'm in the classroom around learning. And so 
Everything's looking up, Christopher. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, I, I remember the first days of school, and here's, as you just kind of described that, let's see, how, how many years did I teach? Um, well, six years full-time, but then basically eight years of, of, uh, of teaching. And I'll tell you what, uh, the first week of school, I was more strict than ever. You have to be. I don't know about yep. you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just, just to set a tone, like yep. you are just, uh, it's, not, it's not that you don't, you know, maybe crack a joke here or there or are humorless, but, but um, to set the tone, you are, are the most strict and you seem the, like the most serious person, or I should say, I seem like the most serious sure. and intense uh, person the first few weeks of school. And then as you get to know the students, you can kind of loosen up and, and kind yes. of find a comfortable medium. But, but yeah, um, I, I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fall baseball has started, which is one of, uh, which is one of my happy places. Um, and I'm, and I'm coaching just my youngest son this fall, George. We had our first game, uh, earlier this week. Did he get hit in the face, get hit in the face of the baseball yet? <laughs> no, he's, um, he's not quite right at the plate actually. So we're, we're working on that and that, that'll take time. Uh, um, we've put him at the top of the batting order to try to rebuild his confidence. He also started the game pitching. Mm. Um, and, um, and so that was, that was exciting. Uh, I, I, um, my, this was Monday when I was still, the abscess was still painful and like coughing, sneezing, laughing, everything like felt like I was popping a stitch. And, um, the funniest thing since my surgery happened at that baseball game Monday night, Christopher, I know you've been around, um, youth sports, you know, goofy <laughs> things happen when kids oh, play. Oh yeah. Oh man. So we were in the field, and the other team was hitting. And um, one of the better hitters in, 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 in George's grade was at the plate. And uh, the first pitch of his at-bat, um, he swung at a pitch at his eyes. High, way too high. But he's aggressive. He wanted it. So you, you appreciate that in a young hitter, right? Right. He's looking to get on base, man. He's not waiting for a walk. You like that. Okay. So our pitcher, I don't. he must have devilishly filed that away in the back of his brain thought like hey he's gonna swing at that wait a minute <laughs> so the next pitch was a foot higher like a foot above his head he swings at that <laughs> he can hardly reach it okay right 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 the third pitch where do you think the third pitch is it's not a foot above that a it? foot above that he jumped to swing and miss that <laughs> and i almost popped a stitch oh <laughs> So now I've officially seen the jump, swing, and strikeout. <laughs> so all my hap, I, I I posted on Twitter the other night. I'm um, I don't know what coronavirus fall 2020 will look like, but I'm already starting to lean into kind of some of my happy fall rituals. I posted a picture of myself at Oktoberfest uh, last year, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get together with friends and kind of do an Oktoberfesty thing. But already starting to think about all things pumpkin and fires outside and apples and corn mazes and fall sports. And so that's where Speaking I'm Speaking of at. fall sports, isn't uh, fall soccer coming up, Kirk? It is. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and one uh, four-year-old daughter of yours. A certain Daphne Marion Haberman yeah, <laughs> will be making her debut. A, a, a debut in sports, period. Yeah, yeah. Well, two-year-old Daphne in the spring of 2019, two- and three-year-old Daphne, um, when I coached George when he was a level below this, she um, went to every practice be because she just had to. You know, I, I was mm -hmm. Kim was working, and 
So I. Um, oh, it's torture for kids that age to stay on the sideline. No, no, she just assumed she was part of the team. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She would she would do certain drills with us until she got bored with her three year old attention span or whatever. But and, and even like the conditioning drills, like the suicide runs and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she'd like kind of cheat and cut it short so it looked like she was finishing like with <laughs> with the team. Yeah, yeah. So I asked you how you were doing, and then I like turned around and began to talk all over again about me. Doing well. Uh, this was the first day of school for our kids. Oh, uh, very cool. We always do a, a Thursday start uh, here in town. Uh, but what's different this year is that only half the kids went back today. Of the kids that are going back, I think of the 25,000 kids in our district, I think 3, 000, a full 3,000 of them decided to, to opt for the virtual academy. Um, they had yeah. A choice. But yeah. then everyone else is going back. And um, so they did half today and then half will go tomorrow so the kids are off tomorrow in the- cohort a and cohort b well just for the first just okay. for the first two days but and uh and then uh, every day next week so um got to meet the teachers and have a full day with them and uh report is that all is well that they, they really like their teachers um they're not necessarily in classes with friends but i don't think it's a bad thing they get to connect with them at recess and lunch and whatever um yeah and learn how to make new friends right right yeah absolutely which, you know it's, it's hard to talk about you know the uh you know asking them about it they're like you know i didn't make no i, I didn't make any new friends today okay well you um what grade is jordan going into she is a fourth grader she's a fourth grader right right right, 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 right yeah is a first grader yeah. well i mean you shared with us that um that she when she didn't get the teacher she was hoping for broke down in tears mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but well, but it, it seems it, like it'll be fine yeah, yeah, it, it it turned out very well. Like good, she came good. back with just like what amounted to roughly rave reviews. It was just like she was just like actually she's really really nice, <laughs> which is what we were telling her. But um, what she what, what it was is it, it was an unknown quantity where she knew that all the other fourth grade teachers were great, yeah. um, and she actually got the new teacher who's not here yet. Um, she's an um, from El Salvador, and uh, right now we're like not accepting new visa like if you're not here you can't come because of the covid and um so she's stuck in in el salvador and so she's a substitute and but that went very well very so. cool so christopher do you remember uh, in, in in central minnesota um verndale minnesota where where i was k through six and a half half of seventh and you were k through four right kirk um, you were k through seven and a half yeah 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 um there were only because it was small town Minnesota. Uh, there were only two classes for every grade, right? Mm-hmm. Two first grade teachers, two, two second grade teachers. Yeah. Yep. So, so uh, when I marched into my first day of kind of first grade, there was there were two options. There was like the 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 fun young teacher, and then the battle axe. And I was like, I name or, or have you been have you been uh, <laughs> hastened a little bit of this when when you went after the the butcher nurse. Like, yes, I not, felt so bad for that. Are we, are we oh, yeah. not naming names anymore? Because I know the I know the the militaristic. Um, I remember her legacy that she left oh, in school yeah. was was she donated this new machine for the lunchroom that would be like a green, yellow, red light. Yes, um, <laughs> that would like tell you when when you're getting too loud. Like, yes. like so you know she was like the you know if you could listener if you could picture this this old. Uh, spinster grouchy lady um it, it would be like with her 
shushing you, like, well, and, like scowling she had, and she shushing. Had this stereotypically German name. She was like this German Midwestern, like Putzfrau. Like, <laughs> and, and Kirk, what's terrible is that you you got that. I mean, different teacher, but same version in fifth grade. Oh, yes. And just I walked up to the list. The dour, very just. The way my dad tells, the way our father tells the story, I walked up to the list in the hall, classroom hallway, looking for my name and the fun, the fun young teacher. And I, I scrolled, traced my finger up and down the list probably three <laughs> times. Something was wrong with the list. My name wasn't there. How, how did they, they forgot to put my name there. And then resigning myself to what seemed to be a cruel twist of fate, I slid my finger over to the other column, and sure enough, and Dad said, no soldier has ever walked to the guillotine. No, no prisoner has ever walked to the guillotine with more slumped shoulders and a sad sack walk than I walked into that classroom. Like, just the change in my body language within, like, 90 seconds. Like, you skipped into the school with your first day of school outfit and backpack and lunchbox and... Hey, but I survived. Nine, nine months goes faster than you think, especially when you're seven. This is Kirk's uh, endorsement of Nietzsche. What doesn't kill you? <laughs> That's right. I am just kidding. Kirk, Kirk's not a big fan of Nietzsche. Yes. All right. With, with that, uh, let's, shall we uh, transition from Nietzsche to the gospelry? <laughs> a very, very wholesome and godly transition. Let us do so. Today's gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? But what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay 
each person according to what he has done. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If I paused awkwardly in that reading, it's because I, I looked away and I wonder if I skipped a line. You but did if not. I did, okay, all right, good, good, good. <laughs> because I was going to write something down. So I don't forget it. So uh, this reading comes immediately after last yes. week's reading, where yes. we have Peter commended uh, for confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and Jesus is like high five, the highest of fives, uh, of fives to you, Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. And immediately afterwards, Jesus launches into a teaching with the disciples um, and, and, and really goes in depth about uh, his purpose. Uh, and this is, this is, these things are connected because in a first century Jew's mind, the, the thought of a crucified Messiah is a contradiction in terms. Uh, they did not link the suffering servant to the Messiah as we do today. Uh, we have the wisdom of Scripture to look back on and see that, in fact, Jesus, uh, we, we could see in the Scriptures, John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Kirk, what do lambs that take away the sin of the world, what happens to them? They have to die. They have to die. <laughs> Yeah, and so Jesus is teaching that, that in fact, uh, one of his purposes for coming to earth is to be the sacrifice of sin, uh, for sin in the world. And this is something antithetical to the idea of, of the disciples. And so when Peter speaks up, it's not that, he, it's not that he's being stubborn or, or, or stupid and, and the rest of the disciples, he would have probably been speaking for them all. Uh, they all probably would have been thinking what he says when they say, far be it, like, Jesus, we will not let this happen. This is not going to happen. And uh, we see this not subtle response from Jesus. Uh, Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. And so I, it's interesting, this if you think about this, so of course he's saying you're hindrance to me. Uh, you right now are being um, like the the deceiver. You you are like being like the devil right now. But uh, when he says get behind me, that is, I read something this week that that brought new light to that. Uh, where where the the positional nature of that statement never really made a whole lot of sense to me, except to be like get out of the way. Except. Uh, that Jesus calls us to be disciples. And um, the posture of a disciple is to follow. And when Jesus says, get behind me, he is saying, follow me. And in fact, Peter does follow him. Uh, and each of the apostles follows Jesus. And rather than being exalted, rather than being uh, lifted up on by earthly powers, um, each of the apostles uh, was martyred. Uh, Kirk, we, uh, as, as we were thinking of our uh, theology segment, uh, one of the, the topics that I considered talking about, that which we, we didn't go with, but uh, we have, is it uh, Bartholomew? Uh, yes. Is, 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 yeah, is yeah. Feast day. And so yeah. I, I kind of looked into Bartholomew a little bit, and, and w when you actually get into the gory details of the martyrdom, <laughs> uh, he was flayed alive. He was, yeah. he was skinned alive. 
and uh, we find out um, just the gruesome deaths that that many of these disciples, uh, these these witnesses. And so I can't help but but think about uh, the powerful testimony of someone who testified to the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, not because it benefited them, but because it was true. Right? It did yes. not benefit them in any way, um, but they couldn't not. Uh, go to their death, uh, testifying the truth of the death and resurrection of Christ, because this is good news for the whole world. Uh, th that um, no matter where the life takes them, due to their their testimony, and it took them to death, uh, this was something that was their their new vocation. And uh, so, when he talks about Jesus, says, "You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Uh, he's saying, as as you follow me, as as you take the position of a disciple and follow me, you will look at the world a completely different way. That that the Christ kingdom has totally alternative values. It's not about accumulation of wealth or power or influence or or any of the earthly ideas of of what it means to be significant to have success. That what's significant to God, um, in fact, Kirk, you've you've used this term quite a bit. This idea of going low. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the and way up God is called, down. The way up is down, and this is the place that God calls us to. That God calls each of us to take up our cross. Uh, if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, "Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Th this means different things for each of us. Um, for some of us, this is this is quite literal. For Peter, this was literal. That Peter was crucified on a cross. Um, and and so as as I've been preparing to preach on this, uh, it's not that the way, it's not one of my main points is that it's not just that the way of the cross is the best way. It's for the Christian. It's the only way. Mm, yeah. It's it, it also is the best way. Um, but but uh, for for somebody who has has witnessed. Jesus in his glory, in his kingdom, like Peter has, like in the transfiguration. He, he witnessed who Jesus was. The only way is the way of the cross. And in our, we'll get into that a little bit more and you'll, you'll say, I'm sure a little bit, uh, but I, I want to read a, uh, I wonder if you had plans to do this, but uh, one of the most beautiful texts I think is, is a hymn that's, that's, not set to a great tune, so it's actually better as a poem <laughs> than it is a, as, a, as a hymn. And it's called They Cast Their Nets in Galilee. Yes! Yes! And so, and so I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's four stanzas, and, and they're utterly beautiful. Um, here, and here it is. They cast their nets in Galilee, just off the hills of brown. Such happy, simple fisher folk before the Lord came down. Contented, peaceful fishermen before they ever knew the peace of God that filled their hearts brimful and broke them too. Young John who trimmed the flapping sail, homeless in Patmos died. Peter who hauled the teeming net, head down was crucified. The peace of God, it is no peace, but strife closed in the sod. Yet brothers pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. So oh, as, it's as, so as, good. 
it's so beautiful. As, as we are promised the peace of God, uh, th- this is uh, not victory as the world would see it. This is um, this peace of God that, that, that is given to us is peace in the midst of, of trials. And um, so, so in the last stanza, the peace of God, it is no peace, but strife closed in the sod. Our life is going to be strife until, strife until we are buried. Um, and yet we pray for only one thing, that peace of God that will um, be but strife that, 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 um, to the end. But, but, but God, uh, Jesus promises that he will be with us to the end. And um, when we close, uh, we will close. Uh, one of the prayers that we'll say is, is something called the Collect for Endurance. And so we, we have several prayers uh, that are associated with not associated that are attached to morning prayer and evening prayer. And this one is part of morning prayer. Um, the, the, the collect for endurance, it's a prayer for endurance. Uh, and, and this is a beautiful prayer. Uh, and it goes like this almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we walking in the way of the cross may find it none other than the way of life and peace. So what this prayer is, it's acknowledging that we are called to walk the way of the cross. And, and, and what we are asking for is endurance, for, for peace, um, for life and peace to be with us as we walk this way of the cross. Um, so so I'll, I'll close my comments here, and we'll have more to say in the theology segment about this. But Kirk, yeah. what, what do you see here in this gospel text? Um, so it's interesting uh, that Jesus identifies the suggestion that he uh, in some way follow a path to glory as coming from Satan. Um, And the devil surely recognizing um, in in some way that whatever happens to Jesus, him spilling his blood sacrificially for the redemption of the sins of humanity is the worst possible outcome for him, right? Yeah. So it's interesting you I see mean, in Jesus. Think back, think back to the temptation of Jesus. The temptation, yeah. precisely. <laughs> Satan would rather offer him all the kingdoms of this world than for him to climb up on a cross and spill his blood mm. as an atoning sacrifice. Mm. And so um, any suggestion that um, the way to bring in God's kingdom um, is a way of triumph and victory and glory is, is in some ways coming from Satan. And mm. that's what Jesus identifies when he points this out in Peter. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't know that he's saying that the Peter is, is, is literally being possessed there, but it is certainly Satan's plan, right? The path of glory for Jesus would be Satan's plan. And we saw that explicitly, like you said, in the temptation of our Lord, right? Uh, and so you see in, uh, in Jesus' healing ministry, um, you see that there's a different way, different way towards uh, towards salvation. Um, he says several times. He says, "Your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well." Um, and uh, and so we see that he's already he already in some sense. And this is we don't want to speculate beyond what's given to us, what's revealed to us in the scriptures. Um, he at this point in Matthew 16, he has some sense that the way his mission is not a mission of glory. And we'll talk, we'll talk in the theology segment about the theology of glory and how that's antithetical to the gospel. Um, and then there's the matter of taking up crosses. And I think we have to think about that both um, metaphorically and literally because they're, they're both true. Uh, 
So at the beginning of his ministry, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus announces that in his kingdom, um, there's there's a call for righteousness that will exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, But he also says in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard um, that those who come just before dusk will be paid the same wage as those who worked all day, right? So in Matthew's vision, well, Jesus' vision of righteousness through Matthew's pen is not a piling on of deeds or better obedience. It has to do with, with something deeper. And so we get that deeper picture here when we see um, taking up your cross. It's something more than just piling, piling up righteousness. It's dying, dying to self, right? Um, so that's the metaphorical sense, right? Um, Jesus will literally die on a cross, um, but our but our sinful natures must also die, and our sinful desires must die, and so um, that there's there are things in our life that need to be put to death. Um, Martin Luther famously pointed out in his book um, on the freedom of the Christian um, that there's no need to go out looking for crosses because crosses will be provided. <laughs> Yeah. And I think this is right. I <laughs> I mean, and he also points out with a twinkle in his eye that anyone who has a wife or a family already has built-in crosses enough. <laughs> but, um, but, the, but the point is, on, on this um, tearful side of the grave, um, we will have our crosses. And, um, and so to bear them, bear them gladly and for the sake of Christ and with glad and obedient hearts, there's that aspect. But then there's also the aspect of literal crosses. Uh, in, in a very important and meaningful way, being a Christian simply means preparing for a good death. Um, we, above all others, acknowledge that death is the beginning, not the end. And so, as we die, uh, we, for the first time ever, have to unclench our fist on the things that we had previously had control of. And our Lord will strip everything that we worked for, that we cared for, that we love from us as we die. Um, perhaps we will bury our spouse, or maybe she'll bury us, but we will see people we love die. Um, uh, our, our abilities, both physically and perhaps, co- perhaps cognitively, will slip, and we'll have to give that up. Um, but our Lord, at the very last, will whisper into our ear, but you still have me. And it is that voice, but you still have me, um, that very same voice that will rip us from our grave at the last day when he blasts the trumpet at his coming. Um, And so we have a literal cross (laughs) that we have to prepare for. Um, Being a Christian means dying a good death and preparing to die a good death in, in the arms of our Savior. So those are my thoughts. Good stuff. Well, we will uh, have the most smooth segue from <laughs> taking up one's cross to uh, the theology of the cross in our theology segment. Yes, let's let's uh, begin our theology segment.
Okay. So, Kirk, every single uh, – at the opening of this podcast, you say that we are a cross-centered podcast or something like that. Yes, just so. <laughs> just so. And, and, uh, and th- these are not insignificant words. No. These not, no, these are not insignificant words. These are very <laughs> intentional, planned out uh, words that, that, that we take very seriously uh, that, that define us, that, that we want to be theologians of the cross. So, Kirk, would you tell us a little bit um, about the, the history of, of uh, theology of the cross and yeah. what it stands in distinction to? Yeah. So I want to speak personally first. Um, and then, then I will more historically introduce what we mean when we say we are theologians of the cross, or the cross is our theology. I think mm-hmm. I have that either on on my Twitter bio or on the podcast Twitter bio. But I think that's a pithy summary, right? The cross is our theology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, personally, uh, for me, uh, in my mid twenties, um, you and I both landed in a parish that was very influenced by by seminarians that were coming and going. Well, a man by the name of Paul Zoll was the dean of Trinity Episcopal School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. And that little seminary, Evangelical Anglican Seminary, in a burnt-out steel town in western Pennsylvania, has had such an outsized influence in American Christendom and even like Western Christendom in the last 15 years. It, it still it makes me smile when I see the ripple effects that that little place has had. But um, some of our listeners will know who Paul Zoll is. He's much beloved, um, kind of in many different universes. I, I know in um, uh, certainly in, in the Episcopal Church, he's sort of a beloved grandfatherly figure. Um, and, uh, and, and also in Lutheran circles, I know there's kind of a, because he has kind of a Lutheran accent in the way he teaches the gospel. Um, but he uh, wrote several books um, they were very cross-centered, um, very grace-oriented, and um, the people that you and I were around profoundly were influenced by him and profoundly influenced me, and his books and his podcasts when I was younger profoundly influenced me. And so I will probably throughout until, until my deathbed, I will have kind of a cross-accented faith in the way I talk about my faith. So I'm just, I just want to say that personally first. I was surrounded by really important people that taught this to me. Um, it, it might have been otherwise, and I'm grateful to God and to Paul Zoll and Ethan Magnus and Paul Cooper and some other people who, Christopher, who have been important and informative in your life and many of our listeners may, may know as well. So I thank God for them and for their ministry. All right, so the theology of the cross. Um, the theology of the cross uh, goes back to 1518, and my, my, one of my heroes, St. Martin, not St. Martin of Tours, St. Martin Luther. Someday when we have Vatican III and we have an ecumenical council and we can finally usher in a bunch of our, our own saints. Um, yes, my, my, the saintly Martin Luther. Um, he was sent by his abbot um, to cool his heels um, at a disputation in Heidelberg um, because he had, he had kicked up a dust storm um, by a year earlier, in 1517, posting 95 theses on the church door in, in, in Heidelberg, in Wittenberg, Germany. And so, um, so it, it was unclear how much of a dust storm he had kicked up at that point. Um, news traveled more slowly in the 1500s than, 
in 2020, so the landscape wasn't entirely clear. And so he sent to this Augustinian conference, um, just like we now have theology conferences, they did then, um, except they called them disputations um, in a properly medieval way. Doesn't that sound like, like medieval theologians getting together? And if you've ever read Thomas Aquinas, you understand how a disputation works, right? Sick at non, um, you, have, um, you have a thesis, and you have an antithesis, and you work out, wait, which is true? Um, and this is the way St. Thomas did theology. He would propose something, and then he would propose um, the argument against it. And it kind of let, um, there was a belief that um, through disputation, through, through reasonable argument, that uh, the truth would out. And so this was the way that theology was done. So um, Martin Luther presented something called the Heidelberg Theses for disputation um, at Heidelberg. And uh, I, want, I want to just kind of read, read some of them. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. Don't want to get into to too many of them, um, because uh, it, I just don't want the segment to get too long. But I want you to get the sense for what they are and where he was coming from. And this is where we get um, the theology of the cross. Um, all right. So um, the debate that Luther was calling for um, was uh, was to kind of move beyond the ninety five theses. I said that already. Okay. And here I have this, I have these theses up now. All right. Forgive me, I don't have them up. Hang on, I'll pull them up right now. All right. Heidelberg Disputation Theological Theses, 1518 Martin Luther. Distrusting completely our own wisdom, according to that counsel of the Holy Spirit, do not rely on your own insight. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. We humbly present to the judgment of all those who wish to be here these theological paradoxes, so that it may become clear whether they have been deduced well or poorly from St. Paul, the especially chosen vessel and instrument of Christ, and also from St. Augustine, his most trustworthy interpreter. All right, so that's his very brief introduction, right? 20-second introduction. And the reason he appeals to St. Paul and St. Augustine was because he was in, a monk in the order of Augustinian friars, and so um, they were kind of faithfully Augustinian um, in their theology. And, um, and unfortunately, um, kind of Rome kind of whacks off their, they, they self-amputate their Augustinian leg when they, uh, when they anathematize Martin Luther. But there was a, a just kind of a, a very comfortably Augustinian accent um, that was available in medieval Roman Catholicism. All right, um, thesis number one. Uh, the law of God, the most salutary doctrine of life, cannot advance man on his way to righteousness but rather hinders him. Two, much less than can human works, which are done over and over again with the aid of natural precepts, so to speak, lead to that end. Three, although the works of man always appear attractive and good, they are nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. Four, although the works of God always seem unattractive and appear evil, they are nevertheless really eternal merits. Five, the works of men are thus not mortal sins. We speak of works which are apparently good as though they were crimes. Six, the works of God, we speak of those which he does through man, are thus not merits as though they were sinless. Seven, the works of righteous 
of the righteous would be mortal sins if they would not be feared as mortal sins by the righteous themselves out of pious fear of God. All right, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit um, so that we get to the juicy stuff. 13. Free will after the fall exists in name only, and as long as it does what it is able to do, it commits a mortal sin. 14. Free will, after the fall, has power to do good only in a passive capacity, but it can do evil in an evil capacity. And we'll skip these, the rest of these theses about free will. Um, 18. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of God. 19. That person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. And that's just straight out of Romans 1. Um, 20. He deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. And this is where he begins to kind of land the plane. 21. A theologian of glory calls evil good and good evil. A theologian of the cross calls the things what it actually is. 22. That wisdom which sees the invisible things of God in works as perceived by man is completely puffed up, blind and hardened. 23. This is a quote from Romans 4. The law brings the wrath of God, kills, reviles, accuses, judges, condemns everything that is not in Christ. Um, and then we'll skip to 26. This is famously um, brings, to, brings to the climax, the argument of the, of the um, theology of the cross. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe this, and everything is done. 27. Actually, one should call the work of Christ an acting work and our work an accomplished work and thus an accomplished work pleasing to God by the grace of the acting work. And the last thesis, the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. I'm going to say that again because that's very dense, but, but this is what we believe. The love of God does not find that which is pleasing to it, but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. So let me let me kind of say a couple things about that and then speak about how, how being a theologian of the cross affects um, the way we live and what, as Paul Zoll calls, how we can live with grace and practice. That's one of his great books. Christopher, have you read Grace and Practice? Not in its entirety, no. It's, it's spectacular. It's spectacular. All right, so let's look back at, the, at Thesis 18, and I'll include these in the show notes. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he's prepared to receive the grace of Christ. Um, this thesis is the key to the entire disputation and is what Luther was driving towards with the previous theses. So there is nothing good in us because of sin, and any trusting in our own abilities or in our own works is damning. And of course, this is what, um, as we've been reading through Matthew this year, what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You have heard it said, 
do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you so, if so much in your head um, had a lustful thought, you have committed adultery, adultery right? Um, we must be brought low before we can be exalted. We must be put to death before God makes us alive. Um, so an action which is alien to God's nature results in a deed belonging to his very nature. He makes a person a sinner so that he may make that person righteous. All right, so um, in the introduction to the theses, Luther had set the tone by despairing of his own wisdom, and he describes these theses as paradoxes, that is, truths that are set in tension that seem to our human reason to be contradictory. Right, like remember he said, the works of man always seem like they're attractive and good. They're nevertheless likely to be mortal sins. Um, uh, so the paradox comes down to one point, though. Despair of yourself. Despair of your ability to do good works. Despair of your ability to justify yourself, to come up with your own justification. Um, and in the end, all of our projects are attempts to justify our existence in the face of eternity, right? To justify our own existence to God, right? Christopher, well, this and, is and what a justify, crisis justify, is, right? Justify in, in the theological <laughs> sense, not justify as in like give a good reason for Sure, it. but just, I think that's just, so as well. I think okay. that's so as well, right? But, We're but, trying to but, define but, our meaning and our accomplishment sure. in, our, but, in our projects, in our vain sure. projects, right? And this is, I think, what a midlife crisis is, is the, sure. is the gnawing realization that our projects are vain. All is vanity, vanity, all is vanity, right? <laughs> so this is the beginning of our salvation, right? This this realization, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, um, as the author of Ecclesiastes writes, right? Is is the beginning of despairing in yourself, and only at that point can you begin to look your eyes away from your navel, right, and up to the cross, right? So if you put your trust in your own good works, however good they are. Um, you will not be trust, tr putting your trust in the only one that can save you. Um, and what it is essentially is, is is a distillation of the major points of the first half of the Book of Romans. That's precisely right. That that that, that, that all the law is able to do is to reveal our sin. The law cannot make us righteous. It it shows us our sin. Therefore, you know, um, Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves, um, and we are justified um, by faith. And, and um, uh, to, to quote um, from uh, fr from the Book of Romans, and of course, um, there's a huge conflict between our Lutheran friends, and, uh, Lutheran listeners, and our Catholic listeners, where um, uh, Luther, in in order to emphasize this point, inserted in the German text alone, right, the, the, right, yeah, my faith alone, um, uh, be, because. Uh, in, but but uh, our, our Catholic friends would would um, um, speak uh, like a, a doctrine is that we are that is against justification by faith, which I, I haven't had explained to me. But um, um, because the, the Book of Romans is so clear, like um, the, the Paul writes very clearly that, that we are justified by faith. That's that's a yeah. direct quote. Yeah. So. So to say that you're a theologian of the cross, that you're a friend of the cross, that the cross is your beginning, your middle, your end, is to say that the cross is good. Um, and the cross is the thing that saves you. And the God-man's blood on the cross is your hope and what you plead before the Father. And this is what we do at Holy Communion, right? Um, we present before, between ourselves, 
um, and the source of our being, um, the blood which pleads for our cleanliness, right? And not only do we present that between ourselves and the source of ultimacy, um, um, God the Father, the creator of all things, but we ingest him, right? We are the wolf that eats the lamb, and the lamb that being eaten by the wolf bursts the skins of the wolf and turns the wolf into the lamb. So we are being changed um, by feeding on God's word and by feeding on his very flesh and his blood. Um, he who does not know Christ does not know God hidden in suffering because that, who, that is who Christ is. Christ is the source of our being. Um, Christ is um, that which, of which none other can, none greater can be thought of, but yet hidden in suffering, right? God um, in human suffering flesh. So if you don't know Christ, you don't know God. Um, Christ is God for you. You want to see God? Look at the hairy, bleeding man on the cross. Um, and that is the God that you need. Um, and so this is, we constantly say, Christopher, the way up is down. Um, and so we boast in the suffering of the God-man, not in our own works. Um, we boast that our salvation is there, not that we are made righteous. And um, this is, once you have eyes to see this, um, this is like, you know, taking the pill and going into the matrix. You begin to notice all of Christ's parables lay this out. Like we said, the parable of, um, uh, of the vineyard um, earlier in Matthew's gospel were those who show up for work just before dusk get the penny at the end of the day, just like those who showed up and did the full day's work, right? <laughs> those who come to the gospel, however, however light in life, at whatever point, miserable sinners, murderers, offenders, adulterers, tax collectors, thieves, whatever, they too will be welcome at the heavenly banquet. Um, we see this right in the, um, the, ta uh, the parable of the tax collector and the penitent sinner, right? Praying in the synagogue. Um, uh, the parable is very thankful for his righteousness. And um, the, the text, or the, I'm sorry, the... Yes, in my excitement, the, I'm muddling. The Pharisee? The Pharisee, a, yes. Yeah. The Pharisee is is is, the, is a theologian of glory. Yes, he is. Of his righteousness. <laughs> so, so, so if if we haven't been clear, we are, we are drawing a distinction between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. That's right. Um, and and so it, it is the tax collector who is a theologian of the cross, who's who who realizes the end of himself, and 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 that that only by dying to himself and and seeing his own sin can you repent and and receive the mercy of 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 the bloody savior. And Jesus. Um, asks the difficult question at the very end of the pericope, right? Who walked away justified? It was the theologian of the cross, of course. We are obviously left to believe. Um, so, um, and what, what, uh, what we receive from the cross is grace. And the concept of grace, the definition of grace, is an unmerited gift. That is, we are given something we didn't, didn't deserve. And that is good standing with God the Father. That is, we are sons and adopted sons and sons and daughters. Um, we did not deserve, we, the bastard son of a criminal, did not deserve to be welcomed to the castle as an adopted son of the prince, and yet that is precisely what is being bestowed upon us, is the choicest robes, and we get to sit next to the prince at the table, and he calls us son, even though we were born 
in a barn at the edge of town to nobody, have no idea who our father is, right? This is, this is the undeserved gift of grace that we are given. And we believe that grace changes you. And knowing that you've been saved by grace necessarily changes the way you interact with everyone else in your life. Because he who has for, been forgiven also is able to forgive much as well. And I know I've monologued, Christopher, but um, would you like to talk about grace and practice? How being a theologian of the cross, how believing that the cross is our beginning, our middle, our end, that the cross is our theology, how does that change the way we live? Uh, can I say something about the theology of the cross first? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> it feels like you, you want to segue to something you want to talk about. No, 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 no. I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> so me, You're just so good. You're so good about talking pastorally about grace and practice, but go ahead. I can jump to that. So I, I, do, I do want to um, just clarify a few things. One one of which is is when we talk about theology of the cross, um, we, are, we are not neglecting the resurrection. It, the cross is shorthand for all of it, for, for suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, all that stuff. Um, but you can't get to the resurrection apart from the cross. Yes. Yes. And, 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 um, and, and so, so, uh, and, and we do, so, so, so that's important, but we also want to contrast the, the theology of the cross, with the, the theology of glory, uh, which, uh, one particular, uh, Lutheran theologian, Ger Gerhard Ferdi, um, a very thought, controversial yeah. theologian. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that, but but he but he, he writes somewhat persuasively at least yes. on on the the Heidelberg Disputation. Um, uh, so just it's a good book. Up. It's a good book. Yeah. I recommend it, reading it. Yes, it's a, Lutherans talk about faith um, as a passive thing, as as, as something that is a gift. Um, uh, th th Bestowed at baptism. Was, Catholics believe yeah. that too. Yeah, we all believe yeah. this. Yep. And, it's, and so uh, he writes, we are rendered passive by the divine activity. Passive, it should be remembered here, comes from the same root as passion, which is, of mm -hmm. course, to suffer. And so we look on the world anew in the light of Christ's passion. Yes. Through suffering on the cross as ones who suffer the sovereign working of God. And then he contrasts that with a sentimentalized theology gives the impression that God and Christ comes to join us in battle against yes. some unknown enemy, is victimized, and suffered just like us. And like the daughters of Jerusalem, we sympathize with him. A true yes. theology of the cross places radical question marks over against sentimentality, sentimentality of that sort. Sorry for stumbling over those words there, but but uh, it, it's a contrast between this uh, this sense of us kind of um, being victorious and joining with Christ in 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 kind of um, it's it's a, a theology of glory is a is a theology that 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 doesn't have a a good explanation or a place for suffering, and mm -hmm. so when Jesus when Jesus invites us to follow him and he says if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross uh, we take Jesus at his word as theologians of the cross and we say like this, like he really really meant what he said um, when he says we must take up our cross and and so we are not surprised. I feel like we've mentioned First uh, Peter uh, a number of times. Do not be surprised the fiery trial yeah. comes. Something strange were happening, um, and then he goes on to explain how like that you kind of unites us with Christ, um, and actually uh, um, is, is a powerful thing. And and so so uh, th that's the that's what I want to highlight, kind of practically, um, kind of get down to brass tacks. Now, what does that mean for 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 kind of grace and practice? Christopher, can can I can I can I say one more thing before you pivot to yeah. grace and practice? Because yeah. you you 
thank thank you for defining uh, theology of glory. That was that was helpful, and I I omitted that. I just I I do want to say that theology of court glory is common sense, and theology of the cross right. is nonsense. It right. takes a while to reorient our natural sense. Um, it's common sense to think that I, as a human being, I once had the glory of God before Eden, right? And um, and I had I I had free will. But God didn't want robots or puppets, so he gave us free will. And unfortunately, um, we fell, and we chose disobedience and fell out of heaven. Um, and so our life has been a, uh, kind of a journey back to the glory that we lost. But since our body is laden with desires, right, our soul's return to its original state cannot help happen without kind of God's assistance. And that was, that's what grace is, right? God, the Grace is how God kind of his like his helping hand to help us get back. And so I can access this grace from Christ um, if I follow his example of obedience, and I'm obedient, um, and, I, and I walk in his will, right, and I obey his law, um, then so I can I can attain back to the glory that was lost in Eden, right? That's sort of common sense, and if you're not careful, that's kind of the way that Christians can slip into thinking, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and and we talk very uh, very dangerously when we use the concept of free will that way, um, because our wills our wills do not choose God. God chooses us. We've been reading through Romans as well as Matthew uh, in the lectionary this summer, um, whether Protestants or Catholics, and Romans makes that very clear that election is God's. Election is not man's. Correct, right, Christopher? <laughs> so so let it let us not tossed around the word free will as if we chose God, right? Um, and especially if we are baptized as infants, we didn't saunter up to the font as three-month-olds saying, I, Lord, choose to be enter thy kingdom, right? <laughs> like, our sinful three-year-old bare butts were, uh, were baptized despite our sinful natures, right? So mm -hmm. that's just a little word about that. Yeah, so. I like how you talked about the, the uh, theology of glory being common sense yes uh that th that if we were to just work our way kind of logically or through kind of a apart from the revelation of god yeah. we would work our way to a theology of theology of glory and, and uh the apostle paul tackles this really articulately in first corinthians chapter one and i'll just read one verse because we're getting a little long in this yeah. segment i'm sorry but he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Um, acknowledging in his context that the idea of, of a crucified Savior um, is, is foolishness to, to Greeks um, and to the Jews. It's, it's a huge stumbling block. It, it doesn't make sense to them. And, and, and for, for secular um, people in the empire, they're just like, man, like this is dumb. Like why would your, like, why would your Savior give up his life? That doesn't right. make any sense. Um, but instead we have this revelation of God um, that, that it was um, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, maybe we should leave grace in practice uh, for another yeah. day. Yep. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to our culture segment.
So, uh, in our culture segment, I hope to speak persuasively and winsomely about a, a, an issue in our culture uh, that has become extremely divisive, especially in the church. And I wish it weren't so. Uh, and we're going to talk about masks. So let me sympathize with those who hate masks. They're comfortable. <laughs> they're hot. There's nothing um, so unpleasant as taking a big, deep breath so you can project your voice uh, dur during a church service and getting a mouthful of mask. Uh, I, I sympathize with, with, with people who who have, have glasses and their glasses fog up when they wear masks. And I, I mean, Kirk, we are old enough to have lived through a number of things that didn't make it to our shores or if they did make it to our shores weren't serious enough for us to wear masks but it would be common in the news for us to see chinese people yes. wearing masks in in public places the swine flu h1n1 sars yep sars sars yep. didn't make it over uh, and, and and to kind of look at that and say like ah oh, you know like that's that's really too bad that they have to do that because we're americans and there there's there's some odd chauvinism about america that like oh well we don't like it won't come to that for us we're not a people who need to wear masks right we are we are so wise and and, and advanced right like a virus cares about your gun safe <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, so so uh you know th there are uh, pastors who have done a really good job of of reading uh, first corinthians and talking about um, uh, meat offered to idols and, and Paul's pastoral advice to them, saying uh, these th like these gods are fake, and so if you want to eat this 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 meat offered to fake idols, go for it. However, if 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 the weak people who don't understand this, if it hurts the the, the faith of the weak, uh, the strong should look at the weak and say. Um, out of love for you and support for your for your we faith. Well, you wouldn't say this. You'd think this internally. Um, right. I, I am going to not eat this meat around you. Um, out, out of just just Christian charity for those who are weak. And so um, that would be a parallel to the to masking, if masking were a matter of uh, you or I being afraid of of getting um, the coronavirus. But um, the reality is that that when we wear masks, it is not for our sake, but for the sake of others, right, especially right. the vulnerable. And um, listener, dear listeners, do you know what? Jesus loves the vulnerable. Amen. Jesus loves the marginalized. And um, for that reason, I am happy to put aside my comfort um, to to mask up when I am in a public space. Now there is a um, there is a new term that's popped up: um, social distance warrior, as as opposed to social justice warrior. Um, <laughs> kind of these are the people who are hiking in the woods where nobody's around, or or maybe taking a walk in a neighborhood where nobody's around and wearing a mask, which which is a little goofy um, when you think about the purpose of that mask. You are not putting others at risk, um, but but um, it, it it grieves me. Um, that Christians are not the first to gladly sacrifice for the sake of 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 uh, the physically weak, uh, for the for the sake of the physically vulnerable, for those who are immunocompromised, for those who are elderly. Because the reality is, 
if, if we just mask up in in uh, when we're indoors uh, shopping or 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 in other um, situations where we might um, have, have a chance of, of transmitting this uh, it, it's not us that we are protecting it is the transmission of the disease that would affect um, uh, people uh, who may not be able to fight the virus and the reality is um, that that, that uh, I know that there 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 is this the sense that um, among some people in the church that that hospitals are overcounting um, uh, COVID deaths. I disagree with this. <laughs> I think the COVID deaths that, that have been announced, which are uh, in excess of 150,000 in America, I think it's probably undercounting them um, rather than overcounting. But the reality is um, I know people um, who have lost loved ones, healthy people who have died from COVID, um, let alone um, people who, who maybe were immunocompromised elderly or whatever. And um, out of just a charity and love, um, these these principles that are throughout Scripture and throughout the teachings of Jesus, um, uh, I think that if if you um, follow Jesus, uh, you should gladly um, sacrifice um, for the sake of others. Yeah, I um I I think all Christians calmly um, would agree with this abstract formation. Our Christian moral commitments uh, trump our political commitments. Um, but yet we all have blind spots where we don't see where we allow our political commitments to trump our, our, our Christian uh, commitments. And I think, I think that's happening in the, in the church, in the American church, um, regarding masks. Um, and it's a blind spot for a lot of people. I know for a fact a lot of people are not coming to church because they're not going to wear the dang mask. Um, and I don't know how you're showing, how I don't know how you're, quote, owning the libs, unquote, by not coming to church and not tithing during um, this time of quarantine. Um, and that grieves me. Um, and and um, the virus doesn't care. The church budget doesn't care. Um, uh, frankly, God doesn't care um, what your political commitments are, and it's. Um, I think there are some Christians that are that are privileging their political commitments. They see that it's vital now to make a stand, um, one way or another. And it's it's strange the evolution in the last five months that masks have become politicized one way or the other. And I think um, you and I would both agree that to either side. To anyone that feels political about the masks, either for or against, um, the virus doesn't care who you're going to vote for. It just doesn't. Um, so whether you're a social distance warrior, whether you're the guy the other day that jumped out of my way as I was walking down the street and you and I were the only ones within 100 yards um, and I wasn't masked because I was walking outside in the bright sun, or whether you're the person that I saw in the grocery store last week that tr tried to give me a hug without a mask on. Um, uh, it's falling off of either side of the horse and um and and neither of those are are, are particularly christian yeah and, and i could see kirk <laughs> if if the mask were only for our protection uh i could see christians eschewing the mask and saying you know um because you know as, as paul writes in in uh romans chapter 14 verse 18 sorry that's not the passage i'm looking for 14 8 for none of us, sorry, seven, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Here's verse eight. 
For if we live, we live. I'm sorry. For if we live, <laughs> we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And yeah. this is the this is what, what we as Christians believe is 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 um I'm wearing a mask not for my sake. Um, I'm wearing a, a mask for the sake of of those who don't know the Lord. Right. Um, because I want them to know that God is for them and not against them, and that I am for them. Yes. And I want them to have a chance to know the Lord before they die. And uh, and and as Christians, um, I, I you know Jesus said uh, that you will be known by your love. Um, for each other, he says, but but also um, we are known by our love for others, for those far from God, um, because God, like, God is the God um, who loves finding lost things. Luke has this. Um, in two years, we'll, when we walk through the book of Luke, we'll, we'll um, find the, the series of parables of the lost coin, of the lost son, and the lost sheep, um, which are all parallel ideas of the, the the fact that our god is a god who yeah. loves rescuing and finding lost people and so um so I, I i hope that that um if if you came into this podcast uh emphatically anti-mask um i understand where you're coming from but i i hope that you as a as, as a professing christian um have have a better idea of, of why um uh, see i I'm kind of against pithy slogans because they they eliminate nuance. But um, I think if we could sum it up in a, in a meme, it would be uh, wear a mask. Uh, or sorry, love your neighbor, wear a mask. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Love your neighbor, wear a mask. Yeah, and the, and I mean we're not advocating mask theater. Um, no. Those people have their own particular vanity and narcissism and Phariseeism as well. But yeah, mm. just humbly, humbly. Wear a mask when the CDC recommends it. That's all. Shall we end yeah, in prayer? Like, like oh, when you're driving ahead. in your car alone. I'm kidding. No. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just kidding. Uh, let, let us end in prayer. Oh, Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow after us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week, Christopher.